You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. What is up, everybody? Bienvenue. Buongiorno. Ciao. Buenos dias. Ni hao. Konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Welcome, one and all, to this very special episode of Abacabu Cafe. We are officially at the halfway point in the television series. We've got 24 more television episodes yet to come. We've covered three of the eight OVA, so we got five more OVA to cover. We've got two movies, Anohi, as well as Shinkor. So we've got a lot of episodes left, guys. We're not even close to running empty on this tank because not only do we have wrap-up to do once we've finished with all of the anime material that Orange Road has to offer, but we've got an entire 18 Tankoban volume manga series to talk about after this. So guys, we got tons of Orange Road left to cover. We might be at the halfway point in the television series, but we're not even close to the halfway point of this podcast. Abacabo Cafe is going to keep on rolling as long as y'all keep hitting that play button. I appreciate you very much for tuning into this episode. Today, we are going to talk about television episode 25 entitled Dangerous Self-Hypnosis, Kasunga-kun Changed. This episode originally aired on September 21st of 1987. It was directed by Shinbayashi Minoru, who previously directed episode 8, which was The Shutter Chance at the Beach. Uh, Shinbayashi also previously directed episode 13. That's Shikaru's super transformation episode. She dresses like Cindy Lauper for a day. Shinbayashi directed episode 17. This was the episode where Kasuga sweat entirely too much in the library. Is it sweat or sweated? I don't know. But he sweat way too much in the library that day. And it's actually pretty gross to walk up to your crush, 
completely covered in sweat head to toe with your clothing, your garments like sticking to your body. That's how covered in sweat you are. Although I think it was the pool. I don't think it was actually sweat. But he couldn't admit that it was pool water because he was going back and forth in episode 17. This episode was written by Shizuya Isao, who previously wrote episode 11, Don't Ring the Wedding Bell, so we know Shizuya has a big thing for the graduate. Shizuya also wrote OVA 3, I Was a Cat, I Was a Fish, which I discussed as a bonus episode some weeks ago. Shizuya also directed episode 17. That's the sweaty Kosuga episode in the library. I mean, who walks around a library just drenched in sweat? Shirt just sticking to you like you could wring it out, and you're touching all the books. And books are made of paper. They're porous. They soak up liquids. And I don't want some sweaty man going through the library touching all the books, and then I got to touch the books, and it's... I don't know. I don't think I would ever go back to that library again, honestly. I can't do the library anymore. I got to order these books online. You're welcome, Jeff Bezos. So we open this episode with a scene that's intended to set the stage by dialing Kasuga's indecision levels up to 11. Shimbayashi employs this hyperbolic analogy wherein Kasuga can't decide between fucking coffee or milk. Bro, it's breakfast. You can totally have both. The coffee is not going to get jealous when you start making out with the milk. The general conceit of this episode is that Kasuga truly can't decide between Ayukua or Shikaru. On the one hand, given the previous episodes leading up till now, it makes sense that he can appreciate each girl in her own right. I think there are episodes that are about his appreciation. In fact, episode 13 which was previously directed by the same director as today, Shimbayashi. I think episode 13 dealt with Kasuga's appreciation for Shikaru and the way Shikaru is distinct from Ayukawa, that she's different. She's a different person. She has a different style, a different personality. And I think episode 13 is an episode where Kasuga really can come to value who Shikaru is in episode 13. And so this episode picks up on that a little bit. He's able to appreciate Shikaru for who she is. He's able to appreciate Ayukawa for who she is. And he's having a hard time deciding between the two. Then on the other hand, Kasuga has repeatedly demonstrated throughout the entirety of this television series that Ayukawa occupies roughly 98% of Kasuga's brain space, while everything else in the known universe can fight over the remaining 2%. We know that Ayukawa is always on his mind. Like I said, Kasuga is both pet shop boys, Elvis Presley and Willie Nelson, because she always on his mind. That joke was so good, I had to make it twice. So this is a fun episode. I like this episode, but it is one whose premise I cannot fully accept from the get-go because my own personal opinion is that there is no competition between Shikaru and Ayukawa, and Kasuga is always going to show a stronger affinity for Ayukawa. He just wants to be with Ayukawa, and he likes Shikaru. He appreciates things about Shikaru as he's gotten to know her better and better over the last several months. He doesn't want to hurt Shikaru, but he prefers Ayukawa, in my humble opinion, and I think that there's plenty of evidence to back me up. So I like this episode. It's a fun episode. I like seeing the transformation in Kasuga. This is kind of a cool, like, what if? You get to try out this completely new personality on Kasuga and see how 
he interacts with the other characters that remain the same as they've been established. So it's kind of an interesting, we're going to change Casca a little bit. We're going to give him kind of a makeover and we're going to see how he interfaces with the characters that we know and love, like Ayukawa, chiefly, like uh, Shikaru, very importantly as well, Yusaku. There's a fun exchange between Kasuga and Yusaku. There's even some important exchanges between Kasuga and Komatsu and Hata. I mean, so it's a really fun episode, I think, for that. But again, the the conceit, the premise behind the episode, I do have a little bit of a hard time with. And um, I'm not sure if that's a fundamental misunderstanding of Kasuga's character on behalf of of uh, Shinbayashi or Shizuya. It, it could be. It could be that they're just writing Kasuga a little bit differently than someone like uh, Terada Kenji, who I believe does understand that Kasuga gravitates much more strongly to Ayukawa and that Kasuga would always choose Ayukawa every, every day of the week. If it's a day that ends in Y, he's choosing Ayukawa. At any rate, during their breakfast, Kurumi puts it correctly. Why agonize over it? This this whole first sequence, this introductory sequence, is, is setting the table for us. The sequence is clearly meant to symbolize Kasuga's approach to his relationships as well. It might be a way of saying that it's not just the girls that Kasuga agonizes over. Like, how is he supposed to decide between people when he can't even pick a breakfast beverage? And they shoehorn Kazuya in here. I'm sorry, Jay Pizzle. I know it's not. It's probably not your favorite aspect of this episode, but at least he's only here for a second. Now, Kazuya is, of course, the author's namesake. And by that, I mean Matsumoto. Uh, of course, his birth name was Kazuya. Matsumoto Izumi is a pen name that he used in his public life as a mangaka. But the man's name is Kazuya. He names this character that can read everybody else's minds after himself. It makes sense that you name the psychic character that knows what everybody is thinking after yourself, if you're the author. So he he actually piles on. I mean, he's got a little bit of a part here too. Like even the five-year-old knows that Kasuga is indecisive to a fault. He's a wimp. He can't make anything up. Even the five-year-old knows that Ayukawa Shikaru they're both going to dump him for being indecisive. I think the fact that Kasuga doesn't have a full-blown panic attack over breakfast here is a damn miracle because they hammer him hard about his indecision being this tremendous character flaw. I'd be losing my mind here. I don't know if I could handle it. I'd be breathing into a brown paper bag. Of course, this guy is going to be desperate, and he's going to try some wild shit in this episode. They just bullied the shit out of him. The, the fact that he's about to go off and hypnotize himself is a foregone conclusion after this family gets done with him. And I think Kurumi planned it that way. You know Kurumi loves the chaos. She wants to watch the world burn. She's going to turn Kasuga into her own little minion. As Kasuga excuses himself, he goes off to lament his own character flaws, his, his tremendous indecision. He's got this flashback from the previous week, and he admits he admits that he views it as a flaw. Ironically... As he's thinking about his indecision and lamenting his flaws, he's recalling a moment between he and Ayukawa from the previous week that was actually pretty sweet, wherein Ayukawa expressed that she'd like to go somewhere with Kasuga, just the two of them. So it seems lost on Kasuga that he's worried Ayukawa will hate him for being indecisive, while at the same time, he's recalling 
some very concrete evidence that Ayukua actually does like him very much indeed. He then imagines this scene of both girls snubbing their noses at him. You can tell it's an imagined scene because the animators don't uh, place them in any specific locale. They're not at Abakabu or school. The background is black. The the floor is black. It's just they're floating in space, almost like Kasuga's dream sequence in episode 10. Of course, your next step has to be hypnotizing yourself. Of course. Who doesn't? Who doesn't hypnotize himself on a daily? Now, I think the effect itself, the visual effect of him hypnotizing himself is kind of cool with the camera kind of zooming in on Kasuga's eye as we see his reflection get bigger and bigger within his own eye. And then the zoom continues. We kind of fly through Kasuga's eye as we seem to be going like one level deeper each time we zoom in and go right into his eye. So they say the eye is the window to the soul. So Kasuga seems to be like digging this new personality out of himself. It's like uh, it's it's there in him somewhere as we go through this kind of loop of zooming through his eye and then zooming through his eye and then zooming through his eye again. It's like he's he's finding this personality within himself. We also notice that his face changes. So he goes from the regular Kasuga kind of looking intense to Kasuga looking sleepy, he looks hypnotized, and then and then he appears confident and bold as this new personality of Kasuga's has emerged. And the hypnosis happens early on in this episode. It's pretty quick into the episode, but the reason for that is we want to see what a day in the life would be like for Kasuga's new personality. We need to see how this new personality is going to play out over the course of what would otherwise be a normal day for Kasuga. This new personality, of course, is like a 180-degree difference between the Kasuga that we know up to this point. Instead of discouraging power use, Kasuga suggests that his sisters are foolish for thinking about walking. And I also enjoy that despite having this, like, cool, new, confident, very unflappable attitude, he still manages to do something kind of uncool, like he gets himself stuck way up in the tree when he teleports to school that morning. So the message here is, it's not that he's impervious to mistakes, it's like he's too cool to care. Unflappable, I think, is the perfect word for his new personality. He's not going to get bent out of shape. He's not going to start like flapping his arms around wildly and doing that thing where like the sweat beads up on Kasuga and he starts acting all squirmy and stuff. This version of Kasuga is not going to do that. This version of Kasuga is a lot cooler. Now we see uh, an interesting piece of framing when Kasuga is stuck up in the tree. We see an extreme close-up shot of Kasuga's foot. It takes up a good bit of the screen. And in the other half of the screen, we see Shikaru walking below. It's a sure indication that he's about to fall out of the tree on her. The framing tells us what's about to happen. Good filmmaking means telegraphing your moves like this. When he almost lands on her, she responds like the old Shikaru. The way she did initially when he bumped into her on the dance floor in episode three, she's initially very harsh until she realizes that it's Kasuga, and then she kind of has to walk it back a little bit. She's kind of like, hey, who the hell are you, you bastard? I'm going to kick you in the nuts. And then she's like, oh, it's you, darling. I'm going to, maybe I'm not going to kick you in the nuts. What's going on? It's it's kind of a weird uh, personality thing, but... Like we get this flash of this intensity with Shikaru sometimes, especially when she doesn't realize that she's in front of or dealing with Kasuga. 
it's a piece of evidence that always kind of made that bubbly Shikaru personality, the way she is when Kasuga is around, it made it seem a little disingenuous because she is like so ready to be the opposite of like bubbly and nice if she doesn't think the guy is Kasuga. Kasuga, of course, has some slick shit to say and it hits right with Shikaru. Shimbayashi uses this very bright pinkish background to isolate Shikaru and Kasuga from the rest of the school, the student onlookers for a second. Uh, it visually represents Shikaru's feelings in that moment. She's just pulled away from everything else. Like she doesn't notice anything around her. Time stood still. So by using this brightly colored background, it, it communicates with us that there's like this moment. It clicks. The, the, the slick shit that Kasuga has to say, man, it worked. If he talked like that every episode, Shikaru would be all about that. The cool version of Kasuga really knows what to say. And then Yusaku, of course, is immediately upset that Shikaru is already all over his mans. Kasuga uses the power here to completely humiliate Yusaku when Yusaku attacks him. Yusaku is, of course, very, very jealous. He he doesn't like to see Shikaru all over Kasuga because he wants Kasuga. Kasuga is his. He can't attack Shikaru. On top of that, I do believe that he is not consciously aware that he is attracted to Kasuga and that he does love Kasuga and wants to be with Kasuga. So, of course, in repressing his own sexual desires, he, he takes them out and, and channels them at Kasuga in a violent way, but that's only because he doesn't know how to communicate his true feelings. He can't even be true to himself about his feelings, his feelings for Kasuga. And again, Kasuga uses the power here to completely humiliate Yusaku. In episode six, Kasuga was so intimidated by Yusaku that he presumes his powers would be no match. But I always thought that was a load of crap. If you can teleport and move things with your mind, I think you can beat up a karate guy. And here, Kasuga proves that with a little bit of boldness, I was right. Kurumi is impressed by Kasuga as well. In this episode, he seems to embrace the chaos, which she is so emblematic of. She wanted Kasuga to act out in this episode. I'm not sure that she knew he would hypnotize himself. I'm not sure that Kurumi knew what lengths he would go to, but I do think that Kurumi really helped instigate things this morning. She stirred the pot. She might have even fired up the others like Kasuga Takashi and Kazuya in attacking Kasuga, because she wanted to see something like this play out. I, I'm, I'm convinced. Kurumi is a mastermind behind the scenes, and we don't even suspect her. That's how genius she is. And in a series of short scenes, we see Kasuga behaving more boldly throughout the day, which includes frequent use of the power. That's a big no-no. So at one point, he scores a very impressive uh, soccer goal, and Shimbayashi includes a shot panning across the girls in the class, and they're all looking very impressed with Kasuga's athleticism. And Ayukawa is included in the composition of this shot at the end of the pan. So as, as the camera pans across all of the girls in the class, it lands on Ayukawa, and she's looking somewhat impressed, but she's also seeming to sense that something with Kasuga is off. She's not responding the same way as the other girls in the class. And I'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. 
Next, we see Kasuga trying to mix some chemicals together as Komatsu and Hata strive with all their might to stop him. It's kind of a fun role reversal to see because Kasuga is usually the voice of reason. He is usually the mature, kind of level-headed one that doesn't get carried away like Komatsu and Hata often do. And usually it's more sexual exploits that Komatsu and Hata get carried away with they're trying to call girls or they're trying to take rude and and inappropriate photos of their classmates or something but Kasuga is always pulling himself away from that group so it's funny to see the roles reversed in this episode where Kasuga is boldly brashly trying to mix these chemicals and Komatsu and Hata out of this intense uh, desire to uh, preserve their own lives they're trying to hold him back but but they're unsuccessful Kasuga does succeed in mixing the chemicals, and we see another pan at this point across his classmates to show their reaction, including Ayukawa, and she's looking even more befuddled with Kasuga than she was in the previous sequence. Interestingly, the chemical reaction that Kasuga initiated seemed to render uh, him and Komatsu and Hata as black and white, almost like their manga counterparts. They didn't look like they were dusted. If you take a look at this scene, uh, when you get dusted with something, there's some powder on your shoulders, it's in your hair, it's maybe on your face, but there will be parts of you that didn't get covered in powder. And and here, they're completely black and white. Like it, it, it makes them a black and white line drawing. It washes all of the color out of them. It's as if the chemical reaction occurred in the celluloid itself that they're, they're, they're using uh, to shoot the episode. So it's really kind of a cool effect. And, and, Interesting. I, I didn't notice it before this most recent rewatch. And the purpose of these scenes is twofold. For one, it illustrates with examples the changes in Kasuga's behavior. It tells us how he has changed now that he's hypnotized himself. And it provides a lot of the fun of this episode. A lot of the kind of fun, enjoyable moments are of Kasuga doing some wild shit that he wouldn't ordinarily do. Two, it shows his classmates' response to his new behavior, notably the variance between the unnamed classmates, mostly female classmates, and Ayukawa's responses to Kasuga. So at this point, the whole school seems to be responding very positively to risk-taker Kasuga. Ayuko's response is less superficial. At this point, she knows Kasuga fairly well, and she can tell that he's acting out of the ordinary for him. It's raising some concern for her. With each pan across the class, we see the impressed classmates, but then when we land on Ayuko's face, she's expressing a little bit of a different reaction. And you can see it illustrated well when Kasuga falls off the side of the school as he's trying to uh, reach the shuttlecock for the girls below. Uh, the whole school is cheering. They're all going nuts when he lands safely after falling off the third floor or whatever it was. And only Ayukawa breathes this big sigh of relief that Kasuga wasn't hurt. Everybody seems impressed. They're cheering for him. He fell off the third floor or whatever it was, and he does a somersault and lands slowly on his feet. Obvious use of the power in front of everybody, and don't nobody say shit. Nobody is particularly worried about Kasuga's safety except for Ayukawa. And you get the impression that she was really kind of frightened he was going to like land on his head and be a quadriplegic or something. But she breathes this sigh of relief while everyone else is cheering. And you can tell, I mean, it's taking something out of Ayukawa that day to witness this change in Kasuga. 
Kurumi herself is moved to use the power a little bit more as a result of, of Kasuga's liberal use, and Yusaku becomes the victim of her destructive whims, unfortunately for him. It's actually the second time in this episode that Yusaku has been abused by the power. I like it. I like Yusaku being abused by the Kasugas. In general, I like the Kasugas being abusive to others around them. I think that that shit is funny. In addition to Ayukawa, Shikaru has a different response to confident Kasuga than the rest of the school. So the girls in his class, they're begging him to eat the lunches they've made. They're fawning over him during the lunch period. And Shikaru, of course, objects to Kasuga's callous disregard for their everyday lunch date. He kind of blows Shikaru off here a little bit. So now Shimbayashi has established that both girls have noticed a change in Kasuga. We cut to the roof where Shikaru is commiserating with Ayukawa about the attention Kasuga is receiving from the other girls. She claims to have discovered Kasuga's charm first. When she says this, Ayukawa is silent. Technically, Ayukawa met Kasuga first, and it seemed very much as if Ayukawa did kind of enjoy their first meeting. So maybe, maybe that line of dialogue was included to remind us that it actually was Ayukawa that discovered Kasuga's charm first. Shikaru only thinks she got there first. Shikaru also claims to love Kasuga more than anyone else does. We cut then at this moment to Ayukawa, and she agrees, but she sounds a little absent-minded as she agrees. Shimbayashi uses an interesting composition for this shot of Ayukawa, too. Ayukawa is framed in such a way as her eyes are cut off by the top border of the screen, so you can only see the lower half of her face and the majority of her torso as she agrees that Shikaru loves Kasuga best. So you can't see her eyes. It seems like Ayukawa is kind of mulling something over during this sequence as well. But when she tells Shikaru that Kasuga is probably trying to look cool in front of her, I wonder if Ayukawa believes that herself or if she's saying that just to pacify Shikaru. Ayukawa seems to be aware that something is off about Kasuga in this episode it's not that he's behaving a little differently. She seems to to intuit that he's off in a more fundamental way. Like this is almost a different person we're dealing with. I think what this goes to show is that only Ayukawa knows Kasuga well enough to tell. This was like almost like a body swap. When Kasuga asks Ayukawa out to the club, there's an interesting editing technique used. He he grabs her wrist as she turns to leave and we get this close-up of of his hand grabbing her wrist and then we cut to Ayukua's face to show her surprise that Kasuga grabbed her and then we cut to Kasuga's face to show his resolve and confidence. Cut to the two of them further back they're staring at each other but we can see the entirety of both of them framed within the shot and this is all traditional cutting and this all is used very frequently in other media we see cutting like this all the time, editing to communicate what's going on, who's doing what, what this sequence is. But then we we get these dissolves, which I think is interesting. We get this dissolve to like a close-up of Kasuga's hand, and he's still holding on to Ayukawa's hand. And then we dissolve again to Ayukawa's face, and she's looking very fight or flight here. We dissolve back to Kasuga's face. He's still looking bold, resolved. The dissolves function to show two images simultaneously. One image is superimposed over the other during the dissolve. One's coming, one's going. I think the intended effect here is to draw out this thread of tension in this moment. 
Casca's taking a risk by asking out Ayukawa, and Ayukawa already seems a little put off by Casca. That thread of tension is, will she smack him? Will she snub him? Is she going to say yes? What's going to happen right here? And this is maybe Casca's boldest move of the day so far. And this is a guy who fell off the building an hour earlier. And then grabbing her hand when she tries to kind of blow him off. And not letting her get away. Really pressing her. That's bold of Casca. That is not something Casca tends to do. When he meets her in front of the club, he places a hand over her shoulder, and that really throws her off. She looks up at him with a face like he just told her that her dog needs to be put down. It really seemed to drive home a change in Casca to her, like she was not dealing with her Casca, the Casca that she's accustomed to, the Casca that she's known for the last five or six months. Have I mentioned I love the disco scenes in this show? Freaking love the disco scenes in this show. Even Uma and Ushko agree. They're at the club. They're at Club Mobius getting down. I mean, you thought they were weirdos that just like to profess their love while scuba diving at the high school uh, in the pool. But but they do normal stuff, too, like doing drugs and going to the club. It's it's all good in the hood. Uh, so we get kind of a cool Uma and Ushko appearance in this episode and we get to hear breaking heart i mean this song absolutely slaps and i'm glad they play it so much in this show because this show is about the music i mean the music is one of the most special parts about the vibe of this show and so i always love the disco scenes for for getting insert music like this this is awesome by the way what the fuck is costco wearing with that coat and tie, it looks like he's dressed as John Adams for Halloween. He looks more like he's going to ratify the Emancipation Proclamation than going clubbing. We see one of the more famous shots of Ayukua that's used across the internet. She's sitting at the bar. She's looking pensive, holding that drink. There's that space next to her. To her left, it's on the right of the screen for us. But it's an empty space next to her. So she's off-center in the composition of the shot. And it's a great shot. I mean, the, the the crowd is washed out by the lights. They're all this kind of nameless, faceless crowd. She's sitting there looking pensive, almost lonely as she holds this drink. And it is a really, really great shot. You can understand why it gets used so much in all of the synthwave, retrowave uh, YouTube videos. It's a great shot of her. Uh, and, and it really kind of communicates that she's got something heavy weighing on her mind. Now, Kasuga pulls that slick shit on Ayukawa. Just like that morning with Shikaru, as soon as Ayukawa hears the slick shit, the colors change. It's bright. It's white, speckled with pink and yellow. It almost looks tie-dyed. It's like uh, psychedelic almost. It's a very interesting stylistic touch. But again, it's almost as if to say that Kasuga's words struck Ayukawa and took her completely out of their environment. For a moment, it's just the two of them, the environment of Disco Mobius, all of the other people. Everything is out of the way. And it's just the two of them in space. And they're like having this connection that's like... Oh, Again, it's, it's almost psychedelic the way they present the, the colors in the background, and it's like flowing through them as well. Really kind of interesting thing to do in that moment to kind of set that moment and that line of dialogue apart. And Ayukawa clearly doesn't know what to do. She's put off by Kasuga, but clearly there's also a part of her that enjoys him like this too. 
or the way he was just speaking to her, that line he just fed her. She goes to the bathroom and she's got like her hands on her cheeks. She's blushing. So she's got to deal with this with this version of Kasuga. Now, Kasuga shoots himself in the foot here by being too friendly with the other women in the bar. Ayukawa knows what to do with Kasuga now. They have a brief argument as reflections in the fountain outside of Disco Mobius. And this creates an interesting and unusual composition because you're seeing them as these reflections instead of the actual figures. But it also helps to foreshadow where Kasuga is headed. Ayuko really kind of manhandles Kasuga here. She holds his arm. She pushes his head underwater. Uh, Someone needs to get her a job at Guantanamo Bay. She'd be cracking these terrorists, no problem. And this is the second time in three episodes that Ayukawa has tossed Kasuga into a fountain. So in this episode, it strikes me that Kasuga doesn't actually become more decisive. He just becomes more bold, brash, daring, risky, cocky even. He uses the power much more openly. He smiles and winks at Ayukawa when he first sees her that morning. He, he takes this risk to get the, uh, the shuttlecock out of the tree. Uh, he uses the power really pretty boldly in front of the whole school several times, which only demonstrates that either the local community is way more oblivious to ESP than the Kasugas assume, or the filmmakers ignore the established world building to fit this episode's narrative, which is my guess. But I do like the idea that the Kasugas are like so worried that they're going to expose the ESP that, that they won't even use it a little bit. And really like nobody notices when they use it. I like that irony. They don't really ever dig into that in this show, but that would have been kind of a cool, fun way to, to sort of show them the Kasugas are like too paranoid about it. I think fundamentally with this episode it's not that Kasuga is more decisive. He doesn't become more decisive. He, he becomes more of a womanizer. He at least entertains the attention of pretty much any other girl that will talk to him. He seems more than willing to fool around with any of them, especially the girls at the club. If anything, he's actually less decisive if we're talking about who he wants to be with. He's certainly less committed to both Ayukawa and Shikaru in this episode. And so there's a sense that Shikaru and Ayukawa object to this bold, confident Kasuga because he has this plethora of other options, and maybe he seems a little less attached to the both of them. And so for me, there's a sense that Kasuga simply isn't as attached to Ayukawa or Shikaru in this episode. He can kind of take them or leave them a little bit. And, and it makes sense that neither of them would like that, so really, at the end of this episode, I have to conclude that his behavior is less about being decisive and more about showing us, the viewer, how he perceives a man should behave in order to be viewed as manly, decisive, the things that a man should be, leaving his boot print on the moon, you know? It's like his own subconscious caricature of manliness. So... It could even be a reflection of social conditioning, movies, TV, manga, books, all of the things that portray men in a certain way. Think about the, the strong and silent type, you know, the, the Westerns, the Fist of the North Stars, anything that shows these guys as this stoic kind of badasses, especially as it regards playing 
men who are successful with women. I mean, Casca in this episode seems like he's watched a couple of James Bond films and just decides this is how men are supposed to interact with women, right? Because that's what the James Bond movie said. I also consider that the the whole reason he hypnotized himself from the beginning was because his entire family pressured him and triggered his anxiety at breakfast that morning. He was anxious that he's not going to measure up to some uh, stereotypical standard of manliness. And so with that thought, I conclude that this episode really is about a young person's attempts to conform with what is likely to be an unrealistic social stereotype and how that affects his relationships. And in that sense, I think this is a really, really remarkable and well-done episode. And I also really enjoyed seeing Costa kind of step out as this new personality and try this on and, and how that impacts everybody around him. But it goes to show you that maybe the girls do prefer things the way they are, just as Kazuya asked in the last episode. We left the previous episode with that question hanging over us, and, and maybe this is to answer that by way of this episode. All right, and speaking of social stereotypes, let me be a podcaster for a minute here, and why don't you please, please consider joining the Team Almy Studios Patreon at patreon.com slash teamalmy. You'll be helping to support fine programming such as this one. You'll also be supporting our other show, Shit Happens When You Party Naked, which you will have full and complete access to as a patron. I'm putting up special bonus content all the time. Bonus content related to Abacabo Cafe and Orange Road. Bonus content related to nothing. Shit Happens When You Party Naked. Uh, I also send merch to everybody. So if you join, I'm going to send you something. And that's just how I roll. So please check us out. Patreon.com slash Team Almy. I would appreciate it very, very much. There's a lot of uh, special bonus content yet to come. I've got a lot of plans for things that I'm going to bring to you guys. Also, please check out my other podcast, Creatures of the Night. I will leave a link to that in the show notes if you like conspiracy theories. And I'm talking the kooky kind, not the political kind i'm talking about like aliens and dmt we do mushrooms on a beach guys don't 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 worry that it's going to be weird or political it's just going to be fun we talk to dmt entities we do mushrooms we watch big trouble in little china just good fun stuff okay wholesome fun all right doing drugs on a beach wholesome fun so check out creatures of the night i got a link to that in the show notes so you can click that and i'll make it easy for you guys thank you for listening to this episode Give us a subscribe. I appreciate it. Leave us a review if you're listening to this in iTunes or Apple. I very, very much appreciate you guys listening today. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I truly mean it. Recently, we were lucky. I think I mentioned this on the previous episode. We got lucky. Earl Knight, my man's Earl Knight. I'm going to leave a link to his YouTube in the show notes as well. But my man's Earl Knight dropped a bunch of brand new, brand spanking new, remixes this is one of them madoka's theme these remixes are good stuff and he's dropped a bunch of them for us and i'm gonna be using them on this podcast i very much appreciate Earl night again go check out his youtube subscribe to his youtube the guy does good stuff and uh, here it is here's his remix of madoka's theme (laughs) 